Welcome to Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rockstar, where I explore the trials and tribulations of being a full-time freelance professional musician in this crazy business we call show. My name is Ivan Funkboy Bodley, and I'll be your host, endeavoring to entertain you with my tales from the road, because sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Am I Famous Yet? is available as a podcast wherever you get fine podcasts, a YouTube series, and even as an actual book in hardcover, softcover, and Kindle editions on Amazon. Links for all of these, including my social media, can be found at my website, www.funkboy.net, F-U-N-K-B-O-Y.net. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it, as these things really do help other people find the show. So grab your bass, tune up, and let's hit the road. Hey, it's Ivan. Welcome to Playing for a Living, road stories from the week that just was. Last Monday, I recorded an interesting podcast appearance on a show called Artitude via Zoom with a German graphic artist who lives in West Cork, Ireland. Just listening to that description strikes me as a very 2021 thing to do on every level. It was a fun conversation that will be edited and released in three parts. It will be available soon wherever fine podcasts are sold. I also taught a bass lesson Monday, but mostly spent the day trying to reorient myself for my previous five-day trip to California and prepare to leave that Tuesday for two nights in Buffalo. I had to readjust my time zone, my wardrobe, and equipment needs between the two gigs. More importantly, I had to spend Sunday and Monday evenings reviewing the sheet music for the upcoming Buffalo gig with rock and roll legends Jay and the Americans. This was their first gig back in a year and nine months since the shutdown. As such, we all had a bit of rust we needed to shake off. Some of us probably needed a can of three-in-one like the Tin Man in Wizard of Oz, but I'm not pointing any oxidized fingers. Jay and the Americans have a great book of hits spanning from the early 1960s to the mid-1970s. The music is R&B-influenced pop rock and roll. Bass playing-wise, it fires mostly right down the middle, nothing too fancy or elaborate, but there are some complicating factors in their book. Most notably, the sheet music they originally gave me was a collection of chord charts from maybe a dozen different sources over many years. There was never a single arranger or music copyist I could discern in reading through the book. Yet, the bass parts they want to hear played live are very specific and mostly true to the original recordings. Unfortunately, almost none of these required parts are actually written out, or at least none correctly. As a band leader, if you want something specifically played, it would behoove you to write it down, both to get the result you want and also to save the players a lot of transcription time. I've only been working with the Americans for the past few years. Sometime before the quarantine, over the course of a couple of gigs, I ended up recopying most of the bass charts to be able to transcribe the original recorded parts and add them into my score. It was a lot of work, to be sure, but I had gotten their book into fairly decent shape for myself to read. You know, about two years ago. Did I mention there was some rust? Their songs are pretty easy except for all the spots when they are decidedly not so. I really have to be on my game with them. So Tuesday, I drove to Buffalo a day before the gig to be able to rehearse with them. Door to door, it was seven hours in the car, then right up on stage for a three-hour rehearsal. It was a long day. We rehearsed and performed on the grandstand stage at the Erie County State Fair on the infield of a harness racing track. Since the rehearsal was the day before the opening of the fair, 
there were no security guards on site. Vendors were busy setting up their fried Oreo stands and hog wing vendor carts for the next day. We had no credentials to get on site, nor specific directions on where to go, what gate to enter, etc. It was easy to figure out where the racetrack was because you could see it from the highway, but exactly how to get to the infield was a bit of a mystery. I tried two different gates before I found one that was open. I drove circuitously through the fairgrounds, winding past the cotton candy trucks and the swine and poultry barns until I found myself on the outside of the racetrack in front of the concert sound mixing board. There was a golf cart-sized break in the retaining wall onto the track that would just accommodate a Hyundai if it was exactly at a 90-degree angle. I did a two-point turn and managed to drive right up to the stage. Exiting the premises was going to be a different issue, but I decided I would burn that bridge when I came to it. Wednesday before the show, I had the day free, so I took the opportunity to catch up with my old pal, Buffalo native, drummer Joe Garetti. He was kind enough to show me the sights of beautiful downtown Buffalo, the eerie lakefront, and the many improvements to the new amusement and entertainment venues being created in the old abandoned grain silos so prevalent near the mouth of the Erie Shipping Canal. The highlight of the sightseeing for me was a visit to the final resting place of James Ambrose Johnson, known professionally as Rick James, Buffalo's funk ambassador to the world. I've seen photos of Rick's headstone before, but my first in-person visit to his grave site I found unexpectedly emotional. I have cited Rick and his music many times as my initial inspiration for becoming a bass player. On Rick's gravestone, there were many offerings left by fans in tribute. Flowers, trinkets, cigarettes, a hotel room key, a champagne bottle, etc. I decided to leave him one of my guitar picks just to say hello. I hoped he would appreciate it. There was a monsoon that blew in off Lake Erie early on Wednesday morning, our show day. The gear was all under tarps, but the gale managed to remove some of them. We weren't on site at the time, so I didn't see how much reassembly the sound crew had to do, but I'm told it wasn't insubstantial. My bigger concern was the stage canopy suspended on metal scaffolding above us like a giant sail in the wind. I've seen more than a few videos of rigs exactly like that coming down in severe weather, occasionally while a band was on stage. The Tuesday rehearsal was a lot windier than the Wednesday show, Either way, I'm happy to report that we did live to play rock and roll another day. I decided to drive back to New York City from Buffalo Wednesday night overnight, directly after the show. I had a couple of reasons for doing this. It was an 8 p.m. show, so I could be in the car by 9.30 and arguably home by 4 a.m. with typical traffic at that hour. Also, we had roommates at the hotel, which isn't the end of the world, but also not my favorite. And finally, Grandmama, age 102, had all of her various helpers either out of town or unavailable that week. I had already missed a regular Thursday visit being in California the week before. I didn't want to miss another one if it was optional. The drive home ended up taking over eight hours due to a big accident somewhere in rural Pennsylvania that completely closed the interstate for almost an hour. Somebody drove off the side of the highway into a ravine, taking a significant portion of guardrail with them. When the road eventually did reopen, all I could see among the emergency vehicles was a front loader trying to retrieve whatever was down there out of sight. I couldn't see if it was a Mini or a Mack truck. The long delay kind of took the momentum out of the trip. I ended up also taking about a 10-minute nap in a gas station parking lot somewhere in New Jersey. For myself, when I feel that I'm getting dangerously tired, if I pull over, park, and just allow myself to fall asleep, I tend to wake up naturally after about 15 minutes, and I'm ready to go again for another few hours. My body just works that way somehow. 
I'm pleased to say that I made it home and got to bed by about 6 a.m., slept six hours, and made my 2 p.m. appointment with Grandmama no problem. After my visit with her, I spent time preparing for the weekend's three scheduled upcoming gigs with three different bands in three different states. Friday, I was supposed to play at the Yogi Berra Museum in New Jersey with my pal Killer Joe, debuting his new viral sensation song, The Bronx Bombers Tonight. He improvised this song at a virtual fundraiser earlier in the year. An iPhone clip of it somehow made its way around the Yankees organization. That led to the booking at the Yogi Berra Museum and a few other things besides. This in turn made it necessary for Killer Joe to formalize and officially record the song just before I was ready to leave for the gig to fight the Friday rush hour traffic into northern New Jersey, which was only 28 miles away but required travel through Manhattan. I got word that the gig was suddenly canceled. No explanation was given other than the people who booked it messed up somehow. Oh well, easy come, easy go. Saturday, I got up at 6 a.m. to be able to make a 2 p.m. ferry from Hyannis, Massachusetts. We had a gig as a jazz trio in a private house on Nantucket. It was a swanky yet casual affair at a billionaire's residence on the island. We played background jazz at poolside for an hour and a half, then played background jazz for another two hours in the dinner tent. It was as easy as those gigs get, I suppose. We still have hoops to jump through with party planners, caterers, etc., but it could have been much worse. They had a magician on after us for their main event. This was a 50th birthday party for about 75 guests made up of parents and kids. Hiring a magician was a good guess, given the demographic spread of the attendees. And, being rich people, they booked a top-shelf magician who was recently in a Broadway show and had appeared numerous times on television. He had props with him, pre-recorded production bits, a headset mic, and everything. High-caliber stuff. The problem was that the audience didn't seem to care at all that he was levitating tables and revealing an iPhone hidden in a melon. He was getting people up on stage to assist him and doing his level best to engage them. It just wasn't going very well. I felt bad for the guy. He was eating his balls up there, metaphorically, of course. I suppose the amount of firepower needed to impress spoiled billionaire children wasn't in his arsenal. Plus, there were the complicating factors that outdoor daytime events with comedy or magic don't usually land well. The sound goes straight up to the sky. It's hard for the audience to hear the performer and vice versa. Here is a captive audience of 75 people who did not sign up for a magic show and couldn't have cared less. Thank God they just ignored our jazz trio. I stayed over on Nantucket Island and had to get up at 5.30 a.m. on Sunday to make a 6.30 a.m. boat back to the mainland just so I could hightail it back to Manhattan for an afternoon sound check with another evening gig at 54 Below with Broadway star Lily Cooper. It took over two hours on the slow ferry. There's a fast one, but not at that hour. Then another five hours in the car to Queens and a 40-minute subway trip into Manhattan. I walked into my 3 p.m. sound check exactly at 3 p.m., not 2.59, That's a little closer than I like to cut it with a travel schedule that involves four states, a ferry, a train, a car, and traffic on I-95, but I made it. That's the Weekend Review. This is the Funk Boy, signing off.